actually in the process of trying to move forward in the sugya that we termed as intuitive morality, which led us in a variety of different directions. And I would like to make a detour, which I think will help us to see with more clarity how, how and what we're trying to present. The theory is as follows that a person, a human being, has an intuitive awareness or he can extrapolate and derive by the utilization of internal skills the absolute reality of the world around him but not in a complete fashion at least in a limited fashion. In other words, there's two sections to our perception of reality. The reality that through the utilization of what we call seichel, we're able to understand, grasp, and come to conclusions about what we have to do based on that understanding. And there's another deeper step towards understanding reality, which is called the reality which is essentially beyond the human intellect. It's lemalim na seichel, whereby we have insight into things which are beyond the faculties of human intelligence and morality. Those are the two things. So on the one hand you've got Seichel, and then you've got Lamalim na Seichel. Seichel means that you have internally a built-in system which can register right and wrong, and given the situation is able to hone in on appropriate behavior and action. There's a later stage, which is the ability to perceive the spiritual world, even though the human intellect can't get there. In order to do that, one needs to come onto an external source, which is known as Torah. Torah gives us insight into that which we can't grasp of our own, of our own accord. Good? Now, I just want to give an example as to, w- if it's true, which is a th- something which you suggested recently, but just as an introduction to recap and then go further. Um, so we have to figure out I think in terms of ourselves Natan, some type of relationship to this is, this, is, this is significant because it actually has major ramifications in every aspect of our life. I'll give you a small example the pr- we presented from Rebel Khan and Wasserman that if it's so obvious and, and, and easily accessible that people should intuit and extrapolate the rules upon which society should be guided by, why is there such massive dispute over basic moral issues <coughs> to this very day? For example, for example, who's got the frog? Get the frog out. Um, for example, the idea of all the contemporary issues, euthanasia, abortion, same-sex marriages, etc., etc., etc. All those things should be essentially able to be resolved if everyone would just sit down and intuit what the internal morality would dictate. So why is that so? Why doesn't it work? So I'll give an example. Rabbi Khan says that it's because he asked the question, and again, remember he asked the question, why does the Pesach say, that, that, Trevor Khan said that, the notion of morality in the, is, it says, you shouldn't go after your heart and after your eyes. 
and this refers to thinking heretical thoughts. But if it's thinking, ter- terming uh, terms which are meant to be referring to thinking heretical thoughts, why would it make it dependent on your eyes and your heart, which are seemingly your your emotions and your way you perceive the world from a very practical experiential perspective? So Rabbi Chanan says the reason is because a person is a, inclined towards bribery in the philosophical sense of the word. In other words, when you're given a bribe, you lose the perspective. You don't see things clearly. And if a small amount is enough to distort a person's vision, even a pritta can, even we said the story um, of a dayan that the, his worker brought him the crops that he should have gone and fished himself and then he wouldn't judge his case because even a small deviation, a tiny bribe is enough to make our judgment inclined in one way. So I'll give an example which happened to me and it's just astonishing how you see this, pro- this process at work. On last Thursday I, I decided that I needed to have a psicha opening the ark. It's, a, it's apparently it's, a, it's, it's something that you should do. Um, so I decided that I'd do it. And in the shul that I'm in, I had no idea there was a gabai. So I assumed the protocol was you go up to the ark and you open it. I assumed that there's no one else that like, is really kind of in the bidding for the option. So I'll take the initiative. So using my initiative, I stride up very confidently towards the ark. And um, I don't really look around. And when the time comes, I open the ark and open the ark and I take out what happened to be the wrong safer Torah, small bluffs, inevitably. <laughs> um, and then I, as I have given over the safer Torah to the chazan who is then leading it back to the bima, a person comes up to me and he had identified himself as the gabai. <laughs> and then he went on to ask me why I didn't ask the gabai for permission because there is a kind of, there's a hierarchy and if I would have wanted it, so I could have asked him and he would have, you know, possibly given it to me or not. But how can I just go and like, go ahead and do that? So that's a very legitimate claim. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I completely respect him. I think he's 100% right. And um, then I returned the safe Torah. I opened the ark again because you get both sides. I felt terrible. I said to him, who was the person I was meant to get it? Can I go apologize to him? He said, don't worry, don't worry. It's really nice about the whole thing. From that day, I hate that man. <laughs> so whenever I see him, I start to think to myself, he's so bad at what he does. He's, he's bad at what he does and he's just such a fake and then in my mind I start to think how his pronunciation is awkward and I start to think about why like you know he can't be having any success with his children and like the worst possible thoughts that you could ever imagine are all suddenly like visited upon this poor individual because he is like acting rightly and I was an idiot so, so uh, luckily I'm aware of the total distortion that occurred but I'm just trying to point out to you how even like the small... He, no, no, he wasn't even horrible about it. He's such a lovely guy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a lovely guy and he wasn't horrible about it. But at some level I was offended. The minute that offense occurred, boom, that entire distorting operating mechanism starts to set in. Are you following me, Natan? It's so crucial because that's what happens is that we actually stop seeing reality. We see our own distorted hurts, wants, desires, and instead of seeing a world, all we see is a mirror of ourselves, our own issues in the world around us. And that's petrifying. Not only is it petrifying, but it's the absolute obstruction to the intuition of, 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 of 
what we call intuitive morality. We have intuitive morality, but it's a breakdown of the seichel. It's a breakdown of the connection to our own inner being. It's a breakdown of the mensch. And, and it's like, it's so ridiculous. I'll give you another example. I mean, again, I, I don't hold myself to be an absolutely horrible person. So my defense of self is, you all do this, but I'm just aware of it. <laughs> so I'm much better than you. <laughs> Which gives me some type of confidence to keep on. And that is another example. I mean, there's hundreds of examples with people the whole time, but definitely even not only with people, with events and, and experiences. There, there are a few like classic experiences, but let's go on some more personal relationship issues. Um, it must be now, and this is ridiculous, this is really d- ridiculous, it must be now probably 10, 12, 13 years ago that there was a person sitting next to me on Shuas by night. Maybe in Shuas by night because you've been up all night, you're a little bit more irritable than usual. <coughs> but I think the problem was we both thought that the place that we were sitting in belonged to us. So he thought it was his place and I thought it was mine. And as a result, there was like this uncomfortable tension between us. And it wasn't like it never got horribly ugly, but I always felt like he is way too assertive. And he kind of thought that this was his place and it was clearly mine. He had my name on the back of the seat. So like, he was so wrong. Ever since that day, I've always had like a little negative energy towards him. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. And therefore, again, you just start to see, you start to interpret actions in a particular light. And things which are, and this can happen with neighborhoods. How do you change it? Okay, so that's what we have to discuss. We have to discuss how do you get beyond it. But let's just discuss the distortion, the distortion principle. Now, it can also happen in terms of um, a distortion of, it doesn't have to stop with people. It can happen to (coughs) neighborhoods. To, 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 to environments, to activities. Um, an example, this, this is given in terms of, which is quite fascinating. It's, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a condition called PTSD. It's called post-traumatic stress disorder or syndrome or something. Post-traumatic disorder, stress, put that in there somewhere. I think it is called PTSD. And what happens is if a person goes through a stressful event, so essentially what psychologists describe is a rewiring of their brain. So what happens is that when that same, they become super sensitized to the, to the stress trigger. There was an interesting, interesting and tragic example of this um, in California. There was a person called Patrick Purdy heard of this? Haven't you? Aren't you from California? Patrick Purdy? Hmm. It was it wasn't in seventy six. I think it's a famous story. I, I think it's the same story that the famous Moody Blues I don't like a Monday's song comes from. Moody Blues? Don't like one? You're really a proper I'm alright. Joking, I'm joking. Um so what happened is this guy Patrick Purdy went to the school ground and he opened fire with an automatic weapon. Just he started shooting, shooting kids off, just killing kids basically. I think he killed like seven kids and he wounded another 27. And as, as a result, as a result, these kids in the school were highly, highly, highly traumatized. And a few weeks later, it was St. Patrick's Day. And it sent waves of fear throughout the whole school. 
even though there was no reason, but it happened to be that St. Patrick had the same name as the killer. So the kids kind of conjured up images that this, this day was made to honor the killer or something. Completely irrational connections. But the point was that because it was an extremely traumatic event, it set up a whole lot of completely unconnected association triggers which would trigger the, the, the fears of the event coming back into it. So this is called, this is another way of establishing an internal pattern of a bias that exists towards a particular thing where you stop seeing it in terms of what the thing is and you have your distorted view of what you experience as it being, as it is being. A person as a child was bullied by a tall friend, a tall, a tall fellow colleague with red hair. So the person can develop a hatred of red hair. But vice versa, the din of bullies nished in red hair. I'm saying I know some, I know people <laughs> who have got red hair. They're lovely, kind, generous people. Not in this room. <laughs> so, so that, but what happens is there's th- that's called means that you take as what you see instead of being a vision it becomes a reality I don't know if we've discussed before fully the difference between sight and hearing I think we did maybe touch on it not we touched on it right that when it comes to seeing you never have seeing something doesn't have meaning every visual scene that comes into your eye is part of it needs a caption underneath it because the same act when perceived from afar could be absolutely tragic or it could be wonderful <coughs> you see a classic example is a man running into the street and whacking a child so on the one hand you could be facing yourself with a classic case of child abuse and the person is literally a, some type of bully is, is picking on a small child alternatively it could be a demonstration of love that a parent is concerned for the child's welfare and they want to teach them a strong lesson not to run into the street but that act itself doesn't have any import it's interpretation that you give the difference is when you hear something and this is why what we struggle to hear when you hear something that means when you process auditory information but not only sounds in fact not sounds but person speaking to you communicating your message so the way you process that information is whereas when you speak about hearing so the whole the whole what's called in Hebrew the Kirchashmir is the ability to integrate information from an external source it's very different from sight sight never tells you what it is when you see something you have to impose meaning on it speech comes with meaning if you impose meaning on speech, you are not hearing. Speech is a receiving, it's a Kabbalah, whereas sight is a hashpa. You, ex- you, 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 imp- you import. Sight doesn't tell you anything. You have to have a framework wherein you can view it. Following me? Good. So now, as a result, as a result, a person who doesn't have Kirchashmir, it means that he does to spoken information what other people do with their eyes. He doesn't 
take in the information and receive it. Rather, he imposes the message he wants to be in the context of that information. He interprets the information in the light that he would like to see it. This is a tremendous problem in listening to shiurim. There's something called kerchashmein shiurim, which is, which is, and I'm just, I'm not saying this. I think it's it's a very valuable point, but that there is an ability to discern precisely what the 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 person giving over the shear is trying to convey. Whereas when a person has framework set up, so you don't hear what the person saying the shear is saying, what you do is you know what you know and you hear what he says and you make a match between what you know, a pre existing paradigm in your head, and distort the words that he's saying into that. Without paradigm flexibility, which is really the Kurhashmiya, you get trapped in these little conceptual cages that you can never get yourself out of. Which is a t- tremendously dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. Which is again the problem of obstructions to intuitive morality. You can't see what's out there because you already have made a model of what you want it to be. And therefore you can't you can't really break that model. Um, but let's maybe just launch ourselves a little bit further and discuss where this all starts. And in order to get there we're going to refer to a paragraph in the Tanya that he quotes from Reb Chaim Vital in Shari Kedusha. Now I don't really understand any of this but together perhaps we can explore it and get some type of at least insight into where we are. Reb Chaim Vital says that every he refers, now he's referring only to Jews to the whole Ish Yisrael Echad Tzadik Echad Rasha both a Tzadik and a Rasha Yesh Shtei Neshamas each and every Jew has got two separate Neshamas two separate souls Kudichtiv, as it says in the Pasuk Uneshamas Aniasisi quotes the Pasuk from Ishayahu that says Neshamas Aniasisi I made Neshamas HaKadosh Baruch speaking and instead of saying I made a neshama, it says it in the plural form neshamais aniasisi. From the plural form, you can see that there's a reference to two components of the Jewish being, um, and one is um, two different neshamas. And then he goes on to explain. Shein shtein These two neshamas, which exist within a person. Each one is its own self-contained world. In other words, this is a major departure from the prevailing notion of Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hora, whereby a person is a person and he has inclinations in going in different directions. The good inclination, the bad inclination. The Balatanya presents a person's internal world and the following conflict as being actually two separate and simultaneous universes. That there's something called as we're going to see, nefesh achas mitzad aklipa v'sitra achas, v'sitra acha. There is a one nefesh which comes from what's called the peel, the shell, and the other side, referring to the side which is not positive, the side of 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 ra. And then there's another nesh- and sorry, and this neshama v'yamislabeshes v'dama adam. This is, as it were, expressed, manifest, clothed by the blood. And this gives a body life. As it says in the Pasuk, the nefesh is in the blood. And from this nefesh come all the bad midas. From the 
four negative elements. So I'm going to skip a bit now and we'll go on to and then we'll go back go on to the next peric to describe the other neshama and he goes into detail about the nefesh habahamis and now we go into the nefesh elokis for nefesh hashenis bisrael this is in chapter 2 of the tanya for nefesh hashenis bisrael hichelik elokami ma'al mamish the nefesh hashenis the second nefesh the second component of the the internal structure of a jewish person is a chedek elokami mal mamish. Now this is a very difficult concept to grasp, but it's called a piece, as it were, kiviyachol of Hashem, piece of Hashem. Now obviously it doesn't mean literally a piece of Hashem because how can you divide the indivisible? What it means is just as a piece of an apple has the qualities that an apple has, so too does the neshama have the qualities of a kashbochu, and we'll discuss what those qualities are. Essentially, those qualities. Essentially, those qualities are the different koiches, um which we expand upon in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we're going to the different koiches of the neshama. Um, and we divide up the, the components of this nefesh alokis, this nefesh alokis, we divide this up into two parts. The one part is called the seichel, and the other part is called the midos, the different components of a person. The seichel is obviously the rational intellectual part, and the midas are the way that those intellectual ideas become manifest in, for want of a better world, word, our emotional world. The three major components of the seichel are chokhmah, bina, and das. That's the way the Balatanya has it, and that's where Chabad Hasidus draws its name from. Chokhmah, bina, and das. Chokhmah is one intellectual koyach, bina is a third one, is a second one, and das is a third one. And these refer to four different, sorry, three different times, I'm struggling with numbers, three different types of, three different types of the Three different types of understanding the world around us and the mysteries of creation. You can have different levels of understanding. The first level of understanding is a level known as Chokhmah. In the level of Chokhmah, the way that understanding comes about is not through a rigorous, well-defined, intellectual pattern. Chokhmah is a grasp. It's when you understand the whole without understanding necessarily in precise detail the relationship of the parts within that whole. Chokhmah is the 
initial grasp. It's a spark of understanding where that spark, even though it contains everything, is not precisely defined. It's, that, it's, it's what the seed is to the tree, Chochmah is to the following middle, which is called Bina. Bina is when you take that idea and you make it completely fresh and clear and well-defined and precisely annotated until every part of the idea starts to starts to um, resonate with the person. And finally you have Das. Das is the last Kerch and Das is when you take that idea and you make it a part of you. It is no longer just a fleeting piece of intellectual knowledge but it actually becomes incorporated into your mind, into your, into your internal intellectual wiring for want of a better word. So those are the three Kerchers which build up the intellectual paradigm of a person. The intellectual paradigm is you first have to have a grasp of an, of an idea, then you have to flesh out the precise details of the idea, and finally you have to live with the idea until it becomes the reality that you have. Yes, you're sure. Can you say that there's a flow from Kochma to be in Yes. And it can't flow to the other way? I don't think it can flow the other way. Kochma is the, the father, Bina is the mother, and Das is the connection between them. Is it possible to have Chochmah without Absolutely. Bina? Absolutely. Or Bina without Chochmah? Even though the mission pick always says, Eim Chochmah, Im Eim Chochmah, Im Bina, Im Eim Bina, Im Chochmah, Im Eim Bina, could be the Im Eim Bina and Das. Well, Chochmah is like the general understanding, Bina's individual, like the private understanding. Correct. So you can, have, you can definitely have Chochmah without Bina. And you can, you can have Bina without Chochmah as well. Chochmah without Bina is the esoteric knowledge without the practical implication. Bina without Chochmah is the practical knowledge, you understand everything, but you understand the method behind it. The difference between, let's say, a nurse and a doctor. A doctor has the Chochmah, and he has the Bina. A nurse, she knows what to do, and probably 80% of the time that she's hung around the doctor long enough, she knows exactly how to treat the conditions that he commonly treats but she has no understanding of the working mechanism behind it. She just knows, if this happens, you do this. So that's much more a Benedictine knowledge. Whereas a Chochmah, you understand the process, but sometimes you understand the process so well, but you can't understand how they practically apply. Well, the, the Sugya of learning Gemara is essentially a Sugya in Chochmah, whereas a Halach is a Sugya in Bina. So this is to be continued shortly, and thank you for your